Good morning. Good morning. It's always a joy to be here before you, um, celebrating the Lord's Day under the authority of His Word. Um, we continue our series through the book of Acts, from chapter 15, um, continuing where we left off. Um, today we will start in verse 13 and go on through verse 21. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. Prepare your hearts as this is God's word this morning for you. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon had related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins. And I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes all these things known from long ago. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord God, what a joy it is to be gathered together as one body with the saints under the preached word, your word, your perfect, inerrant, inspired, and infallible word that is forever and forever. Lord, I pray that you will uh, that you will get me out of the way, and that you will speak this morning to each and every one of our hearts. Open blind eyes and deaf ears, and hide this preacher behind your cross. And may you, Holy Spirit, speak as your servants listen. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in our focal text this morning, we pick up right where we left off last week. Um, the crowd had heard the truth of the gospel, and from Peter, after there was a heated debate between the Judaizers and the apostles regarding the salvation of the Gentiles. And if you'll remember how they... Uh, made the idea of circumcision, um, which was the custom according to the law of Moses, um, which we said was part of the covenant of works. It's 
specifically the um, ceremonial law, into something that was salvific. Of course, that was never its intention from its very inception. Um, Peter had the boldness to stand up to the Judaizers and preach the gospel. And it is my prayer that we have that same boldness to declare the truth, even if it costs us something. And I'll add, even if it costs us everything. We've seen, especially within this past year, um, that taking a stand on what the gospel says is going to cost us something. And we have to be aware that as Americans, our freedom could very well be numbered. I don't say that to scare you, but it's only a matter of time before um, they start seizing our churches. And it's not because of COVID-19 or you know, what's happened, um, I guess, all too often this past year and even this year, um, with the shutdowns, but it won't be over that. It will be more so over the social issues such as our position on homosexuality and abortion. Because we stand on scripture. We don't go where the wind blows. We don't bow to this culture. We don't bow to um, earthly kings or presidents, ultimately. We do submit to them, and we recognize their authority and that God put them there, no matter how wicked they may be. But ultimately, our allegiance is to God, and we say with Peter, we must obey God rather than men. Now, Peter knew that he was declaring the gospel at the risk of, of his own life. And here, this morning, in our focal text, um, James follows up with that, knowing that he too was risking his life for the sake of the gospel. So now what was James' message? For the most part, it was similar to Peter's. Um, salvation not by circumcision or any other kind of work, um, but by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. There's no Jesus plus gospel. If there is, it ceases to be the gospel. The apostles recognize this and they preach them. But before we dive into what his message is, let's consider first who he is. Um, he's often referred to as the brother of Lord Jesus. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can if you want. Um, but I saw none of the other apostles except G James, the Lord's brother. And if you'll recall in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, he's referenced um, along with his other brothers, um, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Now, there was another apostle named James who was son of Alphaeus. Now, this was not this James that we're talking about this morning as 
This James, um, the other apostle, the son of Alphaeus, was killed by King Herod um, for preaching the gospel. Um, this James here in chapter 15 was the head of the church in Jerusalem. And although the half-brother of Jesus, um, it says in John chapter 7 verse 5, um, that at one time he, that is James, was not a believer. Um, but later, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn there, um, I'll read verses 3 through 8. First Corinthians three. First Corinthians fifteen, verse three, excuse me. For I delivered to you as of the first importance, while I also received, that Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to five 500 more brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now we see that he later believes. Lastly, We'll turn to Galatians chapter 2. We can't miss this important detail about James. Starting in verse 7. But on the contrary, seeing that I've been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been, or, excuse me, um, but on the contrary, seeing is that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that has been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, these, uh, these three had prominent roles in the establishment of the church. Um, and this is also the same author as and as the writer of the epistle of James, as we just read um, earlier in the service. Um, because of the context um, in the epistle, it did not mention the Jerusalem Council taking place, um, which is where we're at in our study. Um, so this epistle was likely written beforehand. Um, now let's go back to... Uh, Acts chapter 15 and examine James's speech. Verse 13 indicates that there is a silence between Peter's speech and James's speech. 
both preach the same message, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. But James gives more application, as we'll see here in a little bit. So Peter spoke, then there was silence, and then James spoke. This would like this would be like those times when you know you were you were a kid and some of you in this room are still kids. Um, and when you did something wrong, um, one parent would maybe yell or lecture you um, on why you're in trouble, leave, and there will be a time where you're all quiet and you sit by yourself in your room, and then the other parent comes in and yells and lectures, <laughs> saying to you almost the same thing, but perhaps giving more detail and thus making an application. Maybe a learning lesson, so to speak. Um, for me, um, it would be like my junior high school years where we would be eating lunch in the cafeteria and at some random time, a staff member would cut out all the lights in the room. Because I remember the switch was along one side of the wall and all the switches were right there. So they could just cut out all the lights, which meant we all had to be quiet. Um, and they'd yell at us for whatever reason. Then later, um, another staff member might come in and cut out all the lights again, and then it'd be their turn to yell at us. Now, of course, I wasn't there during the Jerusalem Council here in Acts 15, so I'm not exactly sure that it happened that way, or if they yelled, the text doesn't say, but you would have to imagine that they spoke loud enough for a large group of people to hear because they don't have microphones. They didn't have microphones to project their voice. He said, brethren, listen to me. Simeon which is referring to Simon, that is Peter, and that's the Hebraic form of the word. And that uh, same word is used in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, has related, um, when, when it says has related how God first concerned himself about taking them up um, from among the Gentiles, the people for his name, when it says related, we usually don't talk that way, but think of it, it literally means exegeted. So literally it says, Simon has exegeted how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now let's pause here for a moment. Here we see God reconciling a people to himself for himself. Um, Lengthen Jacobus provided a helpful explanation. God had settled this question in advance by visiting Cornelius and Peter in vision by his spirit before preaching to the God for to the Gentiles and with the view of gathering a covenant people for his name to be called by his name and for his glory. Now, um, turn with me to Romans chapter 9, um, verses 25 and 26, where Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah. 
I will call upon I will call those who are not my people my people and her who is not beloved beloved and it shall be that in the place where it is said to them you are not my people there they shall be called sons of the living God Now we move on to verse 15. With this, the words of the prophet agree just as it, as it is written. Which is, he's quoting from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. After these things I will return, and I will build a tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will build its ruins, and I will restore it. Those I wills are, of course, there on purpose. Because it's God who will do that. And when he says it'll happen, it will happen. Everything that he wills will come to pass. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. This same language of rebuilding and raising up is also found in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. Um, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In, in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, the only one. What a day that will be. All the land will be changed into a plain from Jeba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place as the, the first gate to the corner gate, and from the Tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it, and there will be there will no longer be a curse. For Jerusalem will dwell in security. Now, if you're not familiar with Jerusalem, you might not know what they're talking about. Basically saying every point of Jerusalem, every landmark in the country, in the um, city. So if we were talking about the United States, we might say uh, for the Statue of Liberty to the Hollywood sign, to the from the um, Mount Rushmore to Bourbon Street, so that's essentially what's going on here. Our Lord Jesus, being the ultimate fulfillment of these, from which He was promised, He was the promised King from the lineage of David, and His establishment of the new covenant, where both Jew and Gentile. Are redeemed in his blood. This is what James was illustrating that Gentiles were part of God's plan of redemption, that he had among his elect covenant people both Jews and Gentiles. There's nowhere here that would uh, indicate that these Gentiles 
must first become Jews, that is, be circumcised, anywhere in the text. Not in the Old Testament or here. Listen to this from John Calvin. God saw from the very beginning that neither uncircumcision nor anything else should let him, but that he would choose the Gentiles into his family. So works-based salvation is thrown right out. Works-based salvation is no salvation at all. The only works that save us is that of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, verse 19, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Now we might read this like someone trying to tease someone or to cause a stumbling block for somebody. Um, a literal translation would mean it to be to throw something in the path of someone as a way to annoy them. This is what the Judaizers were doing with their works-based salvation. Um, this is what all works-based salvation does, and it is unfortunately alive and well today. Everything outside of biblical Christianity requires some sort of merit on our part. And merit that we don't have on our own. We don't have any merit credited to us outside of Christ. We're saved because of the work that He did on our behalf. Continuing his thought, verses 20 and 21. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. This is where the immediate context becomes paramount where we understand what's going on here. We have to remember that a lot of pagan religions um, in this particular context offered food, among other things, to pagan gods. And this, of course, this is blatant idolatry. Since this is something that was forbidden in the Old Testament law, the Jews saw this as sharing the sins of idolaters. This is a serious thing. Now if we'll turn to Galatians chapter 2, again, a lot of parallels in Galatians 2. Um, we will recall one such incident. Starting in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party, the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now Peter selfishly feared that he would lose his popularity among the false legalistic Judaizers because this is who he was associating himself with. Um, now, of course, he repented of this later on, so um, Paul didn't hold, no longer held the sin against me. Um, this makes me think of certain people who we once considered to be teachers of the one true gospel but then continues to associate themselves with known heretics and false teachers to the point that they will even reference them as their fellow brother and fellow sister. Now, these aren't people who we might disagree with regarding the secondary doctrine. These are people who distort the gospel and take away from its very lifeblood what those people are doing is sin and they must be called out publicly. This is what Paul did with Peter when he confronted him. And when we see our fellow brother or sister who is in sin, we must call them on it. By doing what he was doing, Peter was distorting the gospel. What is the gospel? Um, so, thing is, when we say that we're sinners, um, we are um, sinners before a holy, righteous, and perfect God. We sin directly against Him. And we have that in our very nature. And that is the very thing that will keep us out of the kingdom of God. Now, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll start reading the first three verses and you are dead in your trespasses notice it doesn't say and you are sick in your trespasses in a sense you are dead in your trespasses and sins what, what do dead people do nothing in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, 
We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So, brothers and sisters, this applies to every single one of us. If you're a non-believer, this still applies to you. But here's the good news to the believer. Continue. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Not works. You've been saved. And raise us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming in the so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. <laughs> It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, by the way, um, when we read earlier in James 2, it says, um, faith without works is dead. That does not mean that we are justified by works. Amen. We're justified by faith. But works that, they, that he's talking about um, Jesus refers to John 15 as bearing fruit. Amen. In other words, good works are evidence of our sanctification. So James does preach the faith alone, the grace alone, faith alone gospel. Continuing, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for beforehand, that we would walk in them. Friends, this is the gospel right here. This is the one true gospel that saves. And if you don't know Christ today, um, I would, I'd love to have a conversation with you on what, what it means to follow him. But if you are indeed in him, my dear friends, um, we say with the prophets, God made this salvation, this gospel known from long ago. May you this day repent and believe the gospel. Let's go to the word of prayer. Father, we come before you. So grateful that you called us to yourself as believers, 
that you gave us your word, that we may know you, that you gave us a heart of flesh and took away our heart of stone, that we may respond to you willingly. Lord, we thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online or listening. We pray for them. We love them. And we wish that they were here with us. But Lord, thank you for making this great and glorious gospel known from long, from even long ago. You glorify yourself from this day forward as we leave this place. May, it's not, may we not look at it as just, oh, we're leaving church, but Lord, you are sending us to declare this gospel to all peoples. Lead us this day, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.